substantial hindrance existed from the circumstance that the method of violin playing, which, at the time, had already reached a high state of cultivation, had been in a measure used as a model without taking into consideration the important difference in the dimensions of the fingerboard in the two instruments. The Violoncello and its History by Joseph Vasilevsky. The Violoncello in the 18th Century. Section 3. France. Amongst the first noteworthy French violoncellists, the brothers Abbe, must be mentioned. They were music masters of the parish church of Agen, under their own names of Philippe Pierre and Pierre de Saint-Sévin. As such, in conformity with the regulation of that time, they had to wear the collet of the Catholic priests over their dress, on account of which they were called shortly Abbe or L'Abbé. They retained this name with the addition of L'Année and Cadet after they had given up their posts in Agen and had entered the Paris Opera Orchestra as cellists in 1727. This is all that is known about them. There is more information extant concerning Berthaud. This artist, born at the beginning of the 18th century at Valenciennes, was esteemed by his contemporaries as of eminent talent, indeed as a genius. In his youth he traveled through Germany, and during this time he applied himself with vigor to gambok playing, under the direction of a bohemian of the name of Kotz, and acquired great proficiency. However, after he became acquainted with the superiority of the violoncello, and had heard a solo piece for it by Francis Cello, according to Feti, he went over to that instrument. His progress was so remarkable that he was ever without a rival, and was looked upon as a wonder on his return to Paris, for he also performed unusually well on the flageolet the playing of which had been little developed. In the year 1739 he was heard for the first time at the Concert Spirituel in a solo of his own composition and aroused great enthusiasm. The result was a frequent appearance at these court concerts. His chief strength lay in the production of an extraordinary richness of tone. He wrote for the violoncello four concertos as well as three sonatas, with bass accompaniment. His death took place in 1756. Berthaud was looked upon as the founder of the French school of violoncello playing. Feti asserts as a proof of this that as pupils he educated Cupy, Janson, Tillier, and the elder of the brothers Duport, who were the propagators of his beautiful tone, as well as his melodious manner of rendering. Jean-Baptiste Coupy, born in 1741 in Paris, received his first lessons from his father, and in his eleventh year became Berthaud's pupil. Before he had passed the second decade of his life, he was already esteemed as one of the cleverest cellists in France. He was soon received into the opera orchestra in Paris, and indeed, with the distinction that he was associated with those members of it who had to accompany the solo singers.
In the year 1771, he gave up his connection with the opera in order to undertake some concert tours. He visited a great part of Germany, remained some time in Hamburg, and then went to Paris in Italy, where he married the songstress, Gasparini. In 1794, he was in Milan. From that time, nothing more is known about him. The requisite information concerning his pupils, Jean-Henri Lavasseur and Breval, will be given farther on. Cupi composed two concertos and a couple of pieces with variations, of which the second, for two violoncellos, appeared only as a posthumous work after his death. Besides these, he wrote a violoncello school. It bears the title, New and Reasoned Method for Learning the Cello Up-to-Date, where we deal with its tuning, how to hold the instrument with ease, how to hold the bow, the position of the hand on the fingerboard, the tact, the extent of the fretboard, the manner of fingering in all major and minor tones, etc. Paris, Boyer. Berthaud's second pupil, Jean-Baptiste Aimé Joseph Janson, was born at Valenciennes in 1742. At 24, he was heard for the first time as a solo player at the Concert Spirituel. In 1767, he went as accompanist to their heir apparent of Brunswick in Italy and remained there till 1771. He then returned for a few years to Paris, after which he traveled in Germany. From Hamburg, where he remained until 1783, he visited Denmark, Sweden, and Poland. He everywhere reaped great applause for his performances, which were distinguished for their broad and fine tone. In the year 1789, he again found himself in Paris. The value that was set upon his playing there is proved by his being offered the post of teacher of the violoncello at the Conservatoire, which was founded in the year 1795. He died September 2, 1803. Of his violoncello compositions, Petit mentions three concertos, opus three, three concertos, opus seven, both with a bass, six concertos with orchestra, opus 15, and six sonatas with bass, opus four. Janson had a younger brother whose Christian names were Louis-Auguste Joseph, whom he instructed as a skillful cellist, after his father had prepared him for it. In 1789, he was given a place in the Parisian orchestra, which he held till 1815. He died a few years later. He was born on July 8, 1749. He only published six sonatas for the violoncello with bass. Joseph Bonaventure Tullier, of whom neither the day of birth nor death is known, was about 1760 in the service of the Prince de Conti. After he had finished his studies under Berthaud, he had the reputation of being a clever player. He published works consists of six sonatas for violoncello and bass, nine duets for two violoncellos, of which three appeared as Opus 8, and also of a violoncello school published in 1764. Method for the Cello containing the principles necessary to play this instrument well. This work appeared in several editions. 
Berthaud's best pupil was Jean-Pierre Duport, called the Elder, whose father was a dancing master. He was born in Paris, November 27, 1741. He was heard at 20 years of age, with unanimous applause at the Concert Spirituel. At the same time, 1761, he was appointed one of the private musicians of the Prince de Conti. He gave up the post in 1769 in order to travel. He first went to England. Two years later, he visited Spain. And in 1773, he went to Berlin, where he remained, as Frederick the Great engaged him for his chamber musician, as well as for the opera. He was at the same time teacher to the future King Frederick Wilhelm II, who named him in 1787 superintendent of chamber music. From that time, Duport no longer worked in the opera, but only played at the court. On December 31, 1818, he died at Berlin. Duport published in 1787 at Berlin six sonatas for violoncello and bass, as well as three duets for two violoncellos, known as Opus I. Gerber, who had the opportunity of hearing this artist in 1793 in Berlin, gives an enthusiastic account of his playing. He especially commended his strong, full tone and his powerful bowing. According to Fetti, uh, however, his younger brother, Jean-Louis, surpassed him, and he seems to have been remarkably gifted. He had at first chosen the violin as his instrument, but took up by preference the violoncello when he saw the artistic success of his brother, whose pupil he became. He very soon acquired considerable reputation by his appearance at the Concert Spirituel and at the Société Olympique, formerly known under the name of Concert des Amateurs, and also by his connection with the House of Baron Wagner, so much frequented at that time by native and foreign artists of note. When Viotti came to Paris, either at the end of 1781 or the beginning of 1782, and Duport heard him, he took his characteristic style of playing as his model, and his performances gained considerably thereby. He undertook his first concert tour to London, in company with the English cellist Crosdill, who was connected with him, and he there met with a most animated reception. This journey kept him six months away from Paris, but he did not remain then long at home. The ominous events which, in 1789, preceded the revolution caused him, like a great many of others, to fly from Paris. He betook himself to his brother in Berlin, where he soon found employment in the Royal Orchestra, to which he was attached for seventeen years. During this time he had many pupils, whose names, unfortunately, are unknown. His pupils of French nationality, Rousseau, Lavasseur, and Platel, will be noticed later. The events of 1806, so unfortunate for Prussia, obliged Duport to leave Berlin. He returned again to Paris, but during his long absence he had been forgotten, and he had to gain for himself another public. A single appearance in the year 1807, in which he was supported by the assistance of the singer Colbrun, Rossini's future wife, was sufficient for this. 
He could not, however, attain to any certain or decided position again by reason of the entire change of circumstances, little favorable to art in Paris. This obliged him to enter the service of Charles IV of Spain, who had been dispossessed by Bonaparte, and who was then at Marseilles. and who was then at Marseilles. But this connection came to an end in 1812, when Charles IV went to Rome, and Dupont consequently was obliged to return to Paris. He took part in three concerts, and in spite of his advanced age of sixty-five years, had so great a success that he was named solo cellist to the emperor and teacher at the conservatoire. He lost the latter post on the reorganization of the above-named institution in the year 1816. He remained, however, in his position at court, which, meantime, had been changed from an imperial to a monarchial one. But only three years after, he succumbed to a liver attack on September 7, 1819. He was born on October 5, 1749. Louis Dupont was the author of a tolerable number of cello compositions. They consist of four books of sonatas with bass accompaniment, three duets for two cellos, and eight airs variés with orchestra or quartet accompaniment. Besides these, he composed in connection with Boxa nine nocturnes for harp and cello, a fantaisie for piano and violoncello in conjunction with Rigel, and a romance with piano accompaniment. As his chef d'oeuvre, must be distinguished. Essay on Cello Fingering and Bow Conduct, dedicated to cello teachers. This comprehensive instruction book, for which the materials were collected by degrees during a long period of years, was published by Dupont during his residences in Berlin and Potsdam. In the preface, he says, I have treated with minute detail the subject of double stops, and this I have done for two reasons. The first is that until now nothing concerning them has been written, and they are so important for a good player. The second, because they have so often served me as an argument for, without an established mode of fingering, double notes are impossible. In the course of this work things will be met with of which the performance is difficult, but nothing will be presented which is really impracticable. I am not writing a useless theory. I have put down no scales, no figures, no passages, no exercises, without having repeatedly tried them myself. I caused them to be repeatedly played by my brother, who was formerly my master, and will ever remain so, as well as by the best of my pupils in Berlin and Potsdam. I am therefore thoroughly convinced that the work contains nothing that may not with ease be clearly and distinctly carried out, and what at first appears impracticable will be practicable for those who will give themselves continuous trouble and make a point of practicing a regular course of fingering. It is evident that Duport devoted himself with the greatest care to the working out of his book of instruction which must be accounted a violoncello school, in order to bring out distinctness in the finger technique, not until then fully settled. For that time, 
It was a meritorious undertaking. A new edition of it, brought out by the violoncellist A. Lindner, is a proof that the work, in spite of its age, is not quite without value. It is only to be regretted that the original text has not throughout been faithfully adhered to, and that in parts it has been suppressed. The editor should have reproduced the work in its original form, and have enunciated his own dissenting opinions in observations. Of more value for our present purpose than Dupour's work just mentioned are his 21 Exercises, which contained much that is worthy of consideration and of acquisition. Dupour left a son who, for a long time, belonged to the orchestra at Lyon, but then opened a piano fa factory in Paris. The splendid Stradivari cello which he inherited from his father, he disposed of to the violoncello virtuoso Franchomme for 25,000 francs. Amongst Dupour's pupils, Frédéric Rousseau, born January 11, 1755, at Versailles, must be mentioned. He was member of the Parisian Opera Orchestra in 1787. In 1812, he retired from his position and established a music school in his native town. He was of special importance in the musical life of Paris, as having been one of the founders of the Concert Institute of the Rue de Clery, formerly so popular. Amongst his compositions, he published six duos concertantes, opus three and four, as well as a potpourri for two violoncellos. <clears throat> Taking up the chronological thread from Berthaud, we have next to mention the cellist Charles-Henri Blanville who was born in a village near Tours in the year 1711 and died in Paris in 1769. The intimate circumstances relating to his life are unknown, only so far as certain that he enjoyed the protection of the Marquise de Viroy, who received musical instruction from him, and that apparently through the influence of this lady he obtained the position of a creditable maître de musique in Paris. Blenville published several theoretical works and a few compositions, amongst them two symphonies, but nothing for his own instrument. The cellist Nochet, born between 1720 and 1730, is known as a pupil of Cervetto and Abaco. In his early years he traveled in Italy and was the member of the Comic Opera in Paris, from which he went to the orchestra of the Grand Opera in 1749. In 1763, he received the appointment of royal chamber musician. He died in 1800, after a year spent in retirement. Nochet is the author of an article on the violoncello which appeared in print in De Le Bourde's Essay sur la musique ancienne et moderne. Essay on Music, Ancient and Modern, Paris 1780. Concerning the violoncellist Edouard, only the following notice is found in Gerber. A violoncellist living in Paris in 1737 was an extraordinary artist on his instrument and was much commended by Telemann. Ehrenforte, 367. Claude 
Dumergue, born at Beaucaire in 1734, seems to have been remarkable among French violoncellists, although he never left his home. That Dupour, when he was traveling in the south of France, stopped at Beaucaire solely in order to make Domergue's acquaintance is sufficient proof of his unusual skill in execution. During the disturbances of the revolution, he unhappily ended his days with 30 of his fellow citizens on the scaffold in 1794. To the Paris Opera Orchestra belonged François-Joseph Giraud, the violoncellist from 1752 to 1767. Besides this, he was a chamber musician. He wrote a volume of sonatas for his instrument. Further, he occupied himself with vocal composition and also wrote for the stage. The next to be mentioned is Jean Tricler, already named of German extraction, born at Dijon in 1750, who passed only his youth in France. Destined by his parents for the church, he went to the seminary of his birthplace. In his leisure hours, he occupied himself with cello playing. His partiality for it increased by degrees as he advanced in skill, and in his fifteenth year he embraced the resolution of devoting himself to the art. For this object, Tuckler went to Mannheim, where he remained several years and reached a master pitch by zealous study under the direction of experienced teachers. After he had been several times to Italy, he was received in March of the year 1783 as a member of the court band at Dresden, to which he belonged as a highly appreciated artist until his death on November 29, 1813. His published compositions consist of seven concertos and six sonatas for violoncello. It must also be noticed that Trickler, thought to have discovered by a microcosm musical, a sure means of keeping stringed instruments continually in even pure tone. It was, however, an illusion, and this imaginary invention disappeared as quickly as it had originated. A remarkable scholar of Trickler's was Dominique Bidot, or Bidot as he called himself in his violoncello school. He belonged to the orchestra of the Théâtre Italien in Paris. His compositions in relation to the violoncello are six duos pour violon et violoncelle, opus 1 and 2, Paris 1796. Three great concertos for violin and cello, a varied Scottish tune with quartet, two easy duets for two cellos, and some other things of the same kind. The title of his violoncello school runs thus, Grand and New Raised Method for the Cello, composed by Dominique Bidot, Paris, 1802. A contemporary of Bidot, Pierre-François-Olivier Aubert, born 1763 at Amiens, also brought about a violoncello method, he received his first musical instruction in the maîtrise of his native town, but he learned cello playing by himself without any other assistance. After his arrival in Paris, he found a place in the orchestra of the Opéra Comique, to which he belonged for twenty-five years. His cello method was, as Petit remarks, the first good instruction book which followed after the insufficient preparatory works by Cupy and Tillier. 
Aubert wrote for his instrument twelve duets in four parts, as opus three, five, six, and seven, some studies, besides three sonatas, opus eight, and lastly, eight sonatas. A second violin cellist of the same name, who was commonly called Auberti, worked in the orchestra of the Paris Comédie Italienne. He died in the year 1805. Of his composition, six solos for the violoncello, Opus 1 appeared, and six duets for two violoncellos. F. Cardon was a member of the Paris Opera Orchestra in the middle of the last century. He educated his nephew, Pierre Cardon, born in 1751, who at the same time studied singing under Richet. The latter seems to have been his chief occupation, since he became a singer in the royal chapel in 1788, and giving singing lessons. He was, however, also engaged as a teacher of cello playing. Esprit Aymon, born at Lille, Vaucluse, in 1754, is also distinguished as a clever violin cellist. He conducted for a long time the music of the Danish minister, Count Ransal. He then settled down in Mar Marseille in the year 1828. He died in Paris. The cellist Pierre-François Lavasseur, born at Abbeville in 1753, was intended for the church and received for that end a liberal education. He decided, however, in the eighteenth year of his life for art. A certain Belval directed for three months his practice on the violoncello. This instruction, however, does not seem to have satisfied him, for he preferred to be his own master. When he came to Paris in 1782, he received a few lessons from Duport the Younger, whose tone and style he adopted. In 1789, he played at the Concert Spirituel some of his own master's solos, and later he appeared at the co concerts of the Théâtre Faido. From 1785 to 1815, he was a member of the opera orchestra. Soon after his retirement from this, he died. The compositions which he published were twelve duets for two violoncellos in two volumes. There was another cellist, Lavasseur, about ten years younger, who sprang from another family, so-called, and whose Christian name was Jean-Henri. He seems to have been more remarkable than his namesake mentioned above. He was born in 1765 in Paris, was a pupil of Cupy, and belonged, consequently, to Berthaud's school. After he had pursued his studies with the former artist, he profited for some time by the instruction of the younger Duport who was then received into the Paris Opera Orchestra, to which he belonged as first violoncellist until 1823, the year of his death. He was also for some time active as a teacher at the Conservatoire. He likewise had a place in the court music of Napoleon, and from 1814 in the Royal Band. That he was amongst the first in rank who belonged to the violoncello school of the Conservatoire, under the direction of Bayot, is a proof of the repute in which he was held in Paris. Of his compositions, he only left a set of sonatas with bass, two sets of duets, and a volume of exercises. Lavasseur's most prominent pupils were Lemar and Norblanc. Jacques-Michel Hurel 
de la Mer. Born on May 1, 1772 in Paris, died on March 27, 1823, in the town of Caen, where he possessed some property, was the son of poor parents and got his scientific as well as his artistic education, together with the pages of the court music. In his fifteenth year he began, under the direction of the younger Dupour, violoncello playing, for which he developed an extraordinary talent. Before he had reached seventeen years of age, he left the Pages Institute and returned to his parents. In 1794 he found a place in the orchestra of the Théâtre Faillot. The then-famous concerts of this institution gave him the wished-for opportunity of making himself known as a solo player. His excellent performances procured for him very soon the reputation of first French violoncellist of his time. The committee of the Paris Conservatoire hastened to secure him as a teacher, but he desired to go out into the world, and at the beginning of 1801 he went to Germany. At Berlin he was brought into intimate relations with Prince Louis Ferdinand, and played a great deal with him. As a mark of distinction he presented him with a ring on condition that he would exchange it with one that Lamar himself wore. From Germany, Lamar went to Russia. He lived there alternately at St. Petersburg and Moscow until 1808. During this period, he was not only soloist at the imperial court, but was also active in giving concerts. On his return to France, he took the route through Poland and Austria. In April 1809, he returned to Paris and soon organized a concert in the Odeon, without, however, exciting in any way his audience, which determined him not to play publicly again. He only allowed himself to be heard in private circles, where great admiration for his playing was conceded to him. He must have been an excellent performer in ensemble and also in quartet playing. In 1815 he married a lady of fortune. From that time on he only pursued his art for pleasure. On March 27, 1823, he succumbed to an affection of the larynx. Lamar wrote nothing for his instrument. He was destitute of any gift of form. The compositions published in Paris under his name, consisting of four violin concertos, duets, and an air varié for violoncello, originated probably from the opera composer Aubert, who was an intimate friend of Lamar. Of the concertos, the one in A minor is the best. Louis-Pierre Martin Norblanc was the son of a French painter, Norblanc de Le Gourdin, of some repute in his time, who in 1772 selected Warsaw as his permanent residence, and there married a Polish lady. The artist just now mentioned, born on December 2, 1781, was the offspring of this union. In 1798 he went to Paris for the sake of the conservatoire, and was first Baudier's and then Lavasseur's pupil. In the year 11, XI, according to the reckoning of the French Republic, that is, 1803, he received the first prize at a competition for the directors of the above-named institution for his performances in solo playing. Six years later, 1809, he was appointed to the orchestra of the Théâtre Italien, 
1811, solo violoncellist in the orchestra of the Grand Opera. In this position, he remained until 1841. Besides this, he gave instructions at the Conservatoire from January 1, 1826, as successor of his master Lavasseur. On June 5, 1846, he gave this up in order to withdraw into private life. He died on July 14, 1854, at Château-Conoutre, in the department of the Marne. Nourplan was highly estimated not only as a soloist, but also as a delicate, tasteful quartet player. For many years, he took the violoncello parts in the Bayou string quartets. He gained special distinction from the musical world of Paris for having assisted in the foundation of the Conservatoire concerts called into existence by Habeneck in 1828. His son and pupil, Emile, born April 2, 1821, was a skillful violoncellist who received the Conservatoire Prize. He, however, devoted himself more to teaching than solo playing. Cupy's pupil, Jean-Baptiste Breval, already mentioned, born in 1756 in the department of the Aisne, so quickly developed his talent that he was able to very early appear at the Concert Spirituel with brilliant success. He was a member of the Paris Opera Orchestra from 1781 to 1806. In 1796, followed his nomination as teacher of violoncello playing at the Conservatoire. From this, he was released in 1802, as the number of pupils at the institution was not large enough to keep him employed. Towards the end of his life, Breval retired to Chamoy, a village in the neighborhood of Laon. He shortly thereafter died at the end of the year 1825. Breval published for the violoncello seven concertos, five sets of duets, three sonatas with bass, and twelve airs variés. Besides these, he wrote two contretemps, quartets, trios, and an instruction book under the title Méthode Raisonnée de Violoncelle, which appeared in Paris in 1804. His cello pieces were formerly much in request, but have been long obsolete. As a player, Breval had a finished style, but in his rendering lacked force and energy. Of similar kind is the verdict regarding the pupil of the elder Janson, Charles-Nicolas Baudiot, who was born on March 29, 1773, at Nancy, and died in Paris on seventeen twenty-six. 1849. Feti, who had heard him, says that his rendering, though of great neatness and purity of tone, was cold and without spirit. It appears that he possessed an extraordinary talent for teaching, for he was in 1802 the successor of his master at the Conservatoire, and worked there until the year 1822, when he accepted a pension. He had an official post in the treasury as well as his artistic occupation. In 1807, he was unfortunate in exciting the ridicule of an audience at a concert given by the famous Catalani, in which he took part. The occasion was of a very harmless nature. In the said concert, a symphony of Haydn was played, and Baudio had a solo to perform immediately after. It was a fantasy on the Andante of the German Master's Symphony, which had just been executed, and of the performance of which the soloist had no suspicion, as he entered the hall when his turn came, 
Scarcely had Bourdieu begun Haydn's theme when the public, who thought he wanted to have a joke, burst out into hearty laughter. The artist, who was at a loss to explain the demeanor of his audience and ignorant of the connection of affairs, became excited and played out of tune, whereupon the laughter was repeated with renewed vigor. Having lost his self-control and being on the point of fainting, he left the platform, supported by a fellow artist. Bourdieu wrote for the violoncello two concertos and two concertinos, as well as a great number of other compositions consisting of duets, potpourris, fantasies, nocturnes, sonatas with bass accompaniment, and transcribed besides violin pieces by Lafont and Berriot. He was also the author of a method for his instrument, and under the direction of Boyot, and with the cooperation of Lavasseur, he took part also in the production of a violoncello method for use in the conservatoire. Of Bourdieu's pupils, Scipion Rousselet, born at the beginning of our century, deserves notice. During his attention at the conservatoire, he received also instruction in composition from Reicha, at the completion of his studies, the first prize was allotted to him, 1823. Rousselot went later on to England. Besides several chamber music compositions and a symphony, there appeared by him three sonatinas, some books of variations, and a morceau de salon for violoncello. A fellow student of Bourdieu's under Janson the Elder was Pierre-Louis de Forges, grandson of the violin virtuoso Jean Novik. de Forges was born at Toulon in 1773, where his mother, Jarnowick's daughter, was performing as an actress. At the age of eight, his parents confided him to the boys' choir of the cathedral at La Rochelle. As he had occupied his leisure hours with trumpet-blowing, he accepted the duty of trumpeter, 1792 to the 14th Regiment in order to join in the campaigns of the Revolutionary Army. Four years after, he lost a finger of his right hand by a musket ball and was consequently invalided. He now tried his fortune as cellist, for during his sojourn at La Rochelle he had acquired some facility on the violoncello. He succeeded in being appointed to the theater orchestra. In the course of six months, he relinquished this and chose Paris as his residence. Here he was received into the conservatoire and assigned to the pupils of Janson. After his release from the conservatoire, Hugh de Forges led, like his grandfather Jarnowick, a perpetually changing life. In the year 1800, he went as head of the orchestra with a French opera troupe to St. Petersburg. In 1810, he returned and made some concert tours in France. In 1817, he came back to Paris and undertook the functions of first cellist at the theater Porte Saint-Martin. In 1820, went to Metz and founded there a music school, made fresh journeys, and in 1828 was the head of the orchestra at the Theater du Gymnase. But at the end of a year asked for his dismissal. He did the same again when in 1831 he had succeeded in obtaining the officer of director of the orchestra at the theater of the Palais Royal. He spent the end of his checkered career in the little town of Pont-le-Roi, near Blois, as teacher at the music school there, where he died January 30, 1838. 
Hugh de Forge was a clever, skillful violoncellist. He did not belong to the number of prominent, practiced artists of his time. His tone was weak, and his performances lacked force and brilliancy, as Fetti remarks. His violoncello compositions, which were formerly somewhat liked, consisted of four concertos and nine airs with variations, entitled Soirée Musicale, four duets and two sonatas with bass. Besides these, he wrote a violoncello method. Of far greater importance to the art of violoncello playing was Duport the Younger's pupil, Nicolas Joseph Platel, who was born in the year 1777 at Versailles, and received his first musical instruction in the institution of royal pages. There was then no attempt at violoncello playing, but about the tenth year of the boy's age, the inclination for it was developed. Louis Duport, who discerned a disposition favorable to it, devoted himself with special zeal to his training. These relations were broken off when Duport, at the end of 1789, left France in order to seek a position in Berlin. From that period, Platel was thrown for a long time upon his own resources. In the year 1793, he was drawn into close relations with Lamar, who sought in every way to forward him. In 1796, Platel became a member of the orchestra of the Théâtre Feydeau. He was deprived of his post on account of a love affair with an actress of that institution, with whom he went to Lyon at the end of 1797. When he returned to Paris in 1801, he appeared several times at concerts with great success. He was then reputed the best violoncellist in Paris, and the absence of Duport and La Mer abroad stood him in good stead. Platel might now have made his fortune in the French capital. However, on account of the carelessness of his disposition and his unpractical nature, he knew not how to turn his opportunities to advantage. In 1805, he left Paris in order to undertake a concert tour, but at Quimper, where he made the acquaintance of a cello-playing dilettante, he remained quite two years. He then finally came to the resolution of again beginning his wanderings. When he had appeared in concerts at Brest and Nantes, with great success, he went north with the intention of visiting Holland and thence Germany. His plan, however, was not carried out. Platel settled himself down. On the way to the former place at Ghent, remained there, giving lessons several years, and then went to Antwerp. An opera troupe was there at the time who engaged him as first violoncellist. About six years later, he undertook the same function in the theater at Brussels. This was the turning point which decided Platel's destiny. The Prince of Chimay engaged him for the Royal Music School of the Belgian court, which was opened in 1831. By accepting this office, to which he devoted himself until his death on August 25, 1835, he became the founder of the Belgian School of Violoncello Playing, from which emanated under his direction such artists as Bata, de Munk and Servais. Platel's compositions consist of five concertos, of which the last is entitled Le Quarte d'Eure, also of three books of sonatas with bass accompaniment, and eight air variés of Caprice's Ou Prélude, 
and six romances with piano accompaniment. Besides these, he wrote six duets for violoncello and violin and three trios for violin, viola, and violoncello. We must mention here three French cellists of the second half of the last century, whose master is not known, namely Christian, Ayot, and Raoul. Gilles-Louis Chrétien, born in 1754 at Versailles and died in Paris March 4, 1811, at the age of 22, found a position as royal band musician. He possessed great readiness and a good tone, though he played without expression. He lost his place by the Revolution, but was indemnified in 1807 by being received into the Imperial Orchestra. He does not seem to have occupied himself with composition, but as a writer on music, though without much success. Ayot belonged to the orchestra of the Comédie Italienne and was also engaged in private teaching. By his arrangements of operas in the form of duets, he supplied the wants of amateur cello players. Finally, Jean-Marie Raoul, an enthusiastic friend of art, who besides his official position on, as crown lawyer and later as justice at the Paris Cour de Cassation, cultivated zealously the violoncello, on which he distinguished himself, must be mentioned in this place as the author of the violoncello school. It appeared under the title of Méthode de Violoncelle, contenant une nouvelle exposition des principes de ces instruments. Raoul composed also some sonatas and air variés for his favorite instrument, his efforts supported by Viome, the well-known Parisian violin maker, to restore the gamba to practical use were in vain. Raoul was born in Paris in 1766 and died there in 1837. When we surveyed the progressive development of violoncello playing from his commencement to the close of the 18th century under all aspects, the following facts are presented to us. Violoncello playing was taken up, as we saw in the first half of the 17th century and even before by the Italians. It was at first used only as an orchestral instrument and as a harmonized accompaniment of recitative singing in the place of the gamba. But in the second half of the 17th century, there were some Italian artists, as Gabrielli, Ariosti, and Bononcini, who endeavored to elevate the violoncello to the rank of a solo instrument. Then appeared Franciscello, who worked with uncommon success to the same end. By the last three named artists, violoncello playing was presented to the German nation with the idea of artistically treating it, while in France, Giovanni Battista Struck, called Battisten, exercised an influence in the same direction. In both these countries, this new branch of art soon received a great impulse by means of native talent. The Germans brought it to more than an empiric. The French, what was methodic. Consequently, at the beginning, it must be acknowledged, the latter gained a certain advantage. It is very noteworthy that they made great efforts to arrange systematically and establish the technique of violoncello playing by instruction books and methods, 
and Corette led the way with his violoncello school, published in 1741, which was followed in the course of the second half of the last century by similar works by Tillier, Cupi, and Münzberger. In Italy and Germany, as far as one can see, the first attempts at instruction books for the violoncello were initiated after Corette and Tillier had published their schools. But in spite of the laudable efforts which were made, especially in France, to establish the science of cello playing on a sure and suitable basis, it made very slow progress. A substantial hindrance existed from the circumstance that the method of violin playing, which, at the time, had already reached a high state of cultivation, had been in a measure used as a model without taking into consideration the important difference in the dimensions of the fingerboard in the two instruments. Not only had the fingering of the diatonic and chromatic scales, but also the principles of the so-called positions been transferred from the violin to the violoncello. With reference to the first point, the necessary directions were given by description in the method of Corette. As to the latter point, it must be observed that for the lower portion of the fingerboard, four different positions were adopted analogous to the technique of the violin. To this position theory, which has come down to the present time and is treated of in some of the old, as well as the new violoncello schools, no special authority, strictly speaking, should be attached. For the violin, it has to be a certain extent a meaning, as on that instrument it is possible to play a complete scale on all four parts of the fingerboard without moving the hand. On account of its wider dimensions, the violoncello admits of this only by the help of the thumb position, which the exception of the C major scale by using the open strings, but even here, where an indication of position would be applicable, it is not usual. Evidently, there is something inconsistent in this. There was a singular conjecture with regard to finger technique in the use of the thumb, as we have already seen from Corette's violoncello school. The fourth finger was excluded from cooperation as soon as the use of the thumb was introduced, because it was thought that it was too short. This view of it prevailed up to the end of the last century. In the method published by the Belgian violoncellist Münzberger, it is literally said, when the fourth position has been passed over, only three fingers are used. Later indeed, where Münzberger speaks of the use of the thumb, he somewhat modifies this rule since he remarks, Many professors, in using the thumb, do not need the fourth finger. I am of opinion that its use should not be rejected, in that he, who by nature is endowed with a long finger, can make it available in certain cases. In exceptional cases, therefore, Münzberger advocated the use of the little finger when playing with the assistance of the thumb but it is evident from his expression that the use of it was not usual at the end of the last century. This is undoubtedly to be gathered from the Méthode de Villoncelle, published conjointly by Bayot, Lavasseur, Cattel, and Baudiot. In it is the following observation. The use of the fourth finger in the different positions of the thumb was not known to the older violoncello teachers of France. It has only been introduced a few years since the necessity for it has been felt. As this violoncello school was in 1804 accepted as an instruction book for the conservatoire by a resolution of the general committee, it is clearly evident 
that in France at least the fourth finger had for the most part remained unused until shortly before the close of the last century. The cause of this was plainly an incorrect manipulation. Concerning the practice pursued in Germany during the second half of the last century with regard to the fourth finger, Johann Baptist Baumgartner's tutor, mentioned page 69, would alone be able to give an explanation if it were still extant. With some probability, however, it may be assumed that the same opinion was held in reference to it as on the other side of the Rhine. The influence of France on German violoncello playing in the second half of the last century made itself felt in other ways. This was chiefly through the means of the brothers Duport. The succeeding sections will show in what way the further cultivation of this branch of the art progressed.